2, if you'll open up your Bibles there. Uh, what I want to do is just briefly, before we get into the, the scriptures and before I preach, uh, I want to update you guys on Brother Craig. Um, last night, they needed to take him to the hospital, to the emergency room. And what we're really wanting to do tonight is this, uh, as we just sang about this song, about taking our cares to the Lord. Uh, now is the time for us as a church for us to rally together and for us to be able to lift up Brother Craig in prayer. And so what I want us to do is this evening, we're going to meet at 5 o'clock uh, in the Old Island Room. Anybody that wants to come, you can come. 5 o'clock, we'll meet in the Old Island Room. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to pray for Brother Craig. Um, this past week, because he wasn't able to do the chemo treatments, uh, they had to push it back because he just wasn't strong enough for it. And so what we would like to do is uh, we desperately need to take this situation to God. And so us as a church, I think the best thing we could do is just gather together, 5 o'clock, and we'll pray and ask God to work in his, on his behalf. Uh, let's start off this service, though, uh, praying for Brother Craig. Lord, we come before you right now, and Lord, we cast our cares at your feet, and Lord, we're thankful for the fact that we can bring our prayer requests uh, before your throne of grace, and we can find help in time of need. Lord, we lift up Brother Craig, and we ask that you would be with him, and Lord, strengthen his body. And Lord, we pray that you would be with his family members. Allow him to sense your presence and your hand working on him even now. And we'll give you glory for everything that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 22. We're continuing our series that we started back several weeks ago. You know, I heard a story recently about a young boy. He had had a tough week at school. And so what he did was uh, he decided he was going to go spend the weekend at his grandmother's house. And so the, the grandmother decided that uh, that Saturday they woke up, they went to the park. And when they got in there, there was a, a beautiful snow that had covered the ground. And the grandmother looked at this little boy named Philip and she said, Philip, look how beautiful it is. It's almost like an artist has painted this. God painted it just for you. Well, Philip, uh, you know, he had been in Sunday school class, and so he decided he was going to break out some of his knowledge. So he told his grandmother, he said, yes, and God painted it with his left hand. The grandmother's like, Philip, what do you mean he painted it with his left hand? Well, he said, well, in Sunday school class, they taught us that Jesus sits on the right hand of God. You guys don't get that? You know, there's a... Uh, there's times in our life where it feels like God's sitting on his hands. There's times where we get in situations and we talk about things like what's happening with Brother Craig and we don't understand exactly why things are happening the way that they do. It's hard to understand. It's hard to know exactly what God's purpose is and what his plans are in situations like those. Would you agree with that? I... Um, I read about, Corey, uh, about Fanny Crosby. I don't know how many of you have heard of her. She was born in 1840, and I think we have a picture of her. People wonder, you know, like, what's the deal with the glasses? Well, when she was uh, an infant, she got an eye infection, and her mom took her to the, to the doctor. The doctor that they normally went to was out of town, so they had to go see another one. Well, that doctor told them that the only way to treat the eye infection was to take mustard poultices and basically to create this paste, and they put it in her eyes. And the baby, she was screaming and crying uncontrollably. And what ended up happening is it ended up burning the retinas that were in her eyes. 
and she was blind from just an infant. The amazing thing about Fanny Crosby, though, is that she wrote over 8,000 different hymns. She didn't allow it to hinder her, but I want you to hear the words as somebody asked her the question once before, if you could have your eyesight back, would you want it? Listen to the words that she said. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for it. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I wouldn't accept it. I might not have sung the hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She said that she trusted that in God's providence that God gave her exactly what she needed. Wow, that's an incredible statement, isn't it? You know, when we don't understand what God's doing, God's providence and his provision is the softest pillow that we could lay our head on. It's the greatest thing that we could rest in. Would you agree with that? And you, when we think about God's providence, you might be a, a person that's familiar with the scriptures and you recognize the word providence is not found in the Bible, although it's seen on every page of the scriptures. When we talk about God's providence, I think it's good if we start off with a basic definition. I want to put this up on the screen. The, the definition of providence is this. It's the fact that God directs all things, both animate and inanimate, seen and unseen, good and evil towards his purposes, which means that his will must finally prevail and it will be for our good and it will be for his glory. Now that's a really long definition. You're like, Ryan, let's break that down and make it a little bit more simple. I don't know how many of you guys are like me. Like, I like one as simple as it can be. All right, so what a, uh, a one person put it this way. It's basically, it's the hand of God in the glove of human events. <clears throat> Folks, when we don't understand exactly what God's doing around us, we can rest in the fact that God is orchestrating. He's directing. He's moving in every situation. There's no greater picture that you can see in the scriptures than when you look in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham faces one of the greatest tests that he ever faced in his life. God comes to him and he requests from him that he would give up his one and only son, Isaac, that he would put him on the altar. And here's the thing is that when God comes to Abraham and makes this request of him, Abraham has zero understanding about what God is doing behind the scenes. He doesn't understand God's plans. He doesn't understand his purposes. But what he does understand is that everything that came into his life had to filter through the very hand of God himself, and he rested in that. Folks, uh, uh, in these times when we face difficulties and trials, one of the greatest things that you can understand in your Christian life is that God is in control of everything. Everything, whether it be good or bad, whether you understand it or you don't understand it, it is God's provision in your life, and he has a reason and a purpose behind everything. As we look at this passage, I want to draw out some principles that we can learn about God's provision in our life. Because folks, whether you like it or not, there are going to be things and situations and circumstances that will come into all of our lives, right? That we don't necessarily understand what God is doing, but we can rest in the fact 
that God does have a plan. He is in control and he's ultimately working it together for your good and also for God's glory. So let's look at some principles that we can learn from the life of Abraham. The very first one is this, the test of God's provision. Let's look at Genesis 22, verse 1. It says this, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and notice his response, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now, the very first thing that you need to notice from this passage is that it says, and it came to pass after these things. For you to properly understand what happens in Genesis chapter 22, you have to understand what God was doing in Genesis 21. Now, follow along with me. It's an incredible story. Genesis 21, what happens is, is that Sarah gave birth to her first child named Isaac, Isaac's name meant laughter. It was a laughing matter because Sarah's at age 90 when she has a baby. Can you imagine that? 90 years old. You're like, really? Yes, really. 90 years old, she has this baby. Abraham, by the way, 100 years old. Fascinating. You know, like, how in the world did you have the energy? I struggle with that at 37. All right, but anyway. And so what happens is, is that they waited 25 years for God to fulfill the promise. They had asked and begged God for a child, and you can imagine the feelings and the emotions that they had when God finally came through and gave them Isaac. I mean, it was exciting time. But what happened was this, is that uh, when Isaac was a small child, his half-brother named Ishmael, you remember the story? You remember how, what had happened was, is that Abraham and Sarah, they had gotten impatient with God. God had promised to give him a child, and it didn't seem like God was coming through with his side. And so in their rush, what happened was, is Sarah said, I want you to have a child with my servant named Hagar. And, and what happened was, is they tried to get ahead of God's timing, and they had a, a child, and they named him Ishmael. Well, in Genesis chapter 21, what happens is, is that Isaac and Ishmael are playing with each other, and Ishmael begins to ridicule and mock Isaac. Well, when that happened... It created this problem. Sarah became angry and bitter at the situation and comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you need to take Hagar and you need to take Ishmael and send them away because Isaac will be the child of promise. Isaac will be the child that will be your heir. Now, you can imagine the tension that created in their relationship, right? Now, what happens is, is Genesis 21, God comes to uh, Abraham and basically tells him this, you need to go ahead and listen to your wife. Now, don't you hate those words? I I say that and I'm just like, I'm just joking. All right, now, and, and here's the thing. God tells him, he says, hey, you need to listen to what God tells you and send them away. I'll take care of them. And so look back in your passage, Genesis 21, verse 12. Look at what it says. A very important verse for you to notice. It says, in all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, God basically tells Abraham this. Isaac is going to be the child of promise. When I promise to make of you a great nation, I'm going to fulfill it in who? Not Ishmael, but it's going to be Isaac. Ishmael's your child of the flesh. Isaac is going to be your child of the promise. I will fulfill the promise through 
Isaac. Now here's the thing. When you look at Genesis chapter 21 and chapter 22, you need to understand this. There's been a 20 years have passed between Genesis 21 and chapter 22. 20 years has passed. So Isaac at this point is over 20 years old, okay, when God comes to him and gives him this specific test. Now notice that it says in verse 1, after these things God did tempt Abraham. Now that word tempt is, is not a great translation. A better word would be test. The word here is test. It literally means to prove. To prove. God was going to prove Abraham and his faith. He was going to put him through a test. Now, you need to understand that in Scripture, Satan always tempts to, make, to bring out the worst in you. God tests in order to bring out the best in you. A very big difference. So as we go forward, you need to understand the setting is this. God is going to test Abraham with something that's extremely important to him. It's his son named Isaac. It's a tough situation, very difficult. Now let's look at this passage and know that what's happening here is this. You have to understand the context. The context is that Abraham had just given up Ishmael, just sent him away. Now he has one son, and his name is Isaac. Now look at verse 2. That sets the context for us. Verse 2, he says this, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee. Now ten different times, God is going to say, Son, only son, the son that you love. He's emphasizing it for a reason. This son, Isaac, was the joy of his heart. It was the son that he loved. It was the son that was given to him in his old age. For 20 years, he had watched Isaac grow up. He had watched him play. He, was, he had brought joy to his parents' hearts. And true to his name, uh, Isaac brought laughter to his family. You have to understand that in Isaac rested all of Abraham's hopes, rested all of Abraham's dreams, rested all, all of God's promises to his family. If Isaac was gone, he would have lost everything. So when God comes to him and he says, I want you to give to me your only son, it was like a thunderbolt came down from heaven and struck Abraham's heart. Everything, it was like the walls began to cave in. It was like the ceiling was coming down. It was devastating to him. And folks, in order for you to understand this, you have to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Can you imagine the emotion of being told that the child that you've seen grown up, the one you waited 25 years for, is now God says, I want you to give him back to me. I gave him to you, but give him back. That's a tough test. Put yourself in his shoes. As a parent, the quickest way you can get to a parent's heart is through what? Through the children. There is no more tender spot in the heart of a parent than what? Than their child. You might be sitting here and you're like, why would God even request something so terrible as asking for his son? Well, you might get a hint of it if you look down at verse 12. Look at what it says. And for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not, what? Withheld 
thy son. Here's the test, folks. God had fulfilled his side of the promise in giving him a son named Isaac. And now God is asking for him back. Now, we don't know exactly the reasons why, but I'll tell you this, folks. What God was saying is that it's potential that in the heart of Abraham, he had grown enamored more with the provision of God than with the giver of the, or the provider of the promise himself. Folks, there's times in our lives where God provides things for us. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above. God's the giver of everything that you have. And folks, what happens in our life is that we grow to love the possessions and the provisions more than what? The provider of the provisions. And what ends up happening is that God is testing the heart of Abraham. Do you love me or do you just love the stuff that I give to you? At the heart of the test is Matthew 22 where he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. God knows that in our hearts we're prone to love our things. We're prone to cling to the things that God gives us. Folks, do you agree with that? Look at our culture. Look at everything that's promoted on TV. It's all about the stuff. It's all about the things. And folks, what happens is this. God gives us those things and we begin to clutch at them. We begin to cling to them. Instead of holding them with open hands, we clutch to them. And they end up ruling our hearts and we set our affections on them. True or false? I don't know how many of you have dogs, but man, I, I got two more than I want at my house. But here's the thing. Uh, I've noticed about my dogs is this. i sorry, I love you, babe. All right, and so um, one of the things is, is that they have this ball. They love to play fetch. Now, they love it when we take the ball and we throw it down the hallway and our dog will take off and, and just dive underneath the couch and just go, it'll go wild just to pick up that ball. But one of the things I've noticed about our dog is this. When the dog brings it back, it wants to keep it. It clutches to it. There's something that inside of a dog that when it gets its mouth wrapped around it, it naturally just clenches down on it. It holds to it. And the only way I can get the ball back is I have to twist and pull to pull it out of its mouth. And folks, just like a dog can be like that, we have the tendency as believers, if you're not careful, we can take the provisions that God gives us, the blessings, and we can begin to clutch and cling to the things that God's given us instead of clutching and clinging to the one that gave it to us. And folks, God knows what we need, so he puts us through tests at times to do what? So that we'll learn to, instead of God having to pull it out of our slobbery mouths, that we'll learn to give it up and hold it with open hands, the things that God gives us. Folks, everything that he's provided us, we hold them with open hands because they don't belong to us. We're simply stewards of it. Even if that's your children, even if it's your house and the things that you have, we hold them with open hands because ultimately it came from who? Came from God. I did compare you to dogs. Don't get angry with me. Some of you guys are, I can't believe you called me a dog. Hey, folks, we're just like that, aren't we? Now, notice the second principle is this. 
the trust in God's provision. You know, when God gives us the provisions that he gives us, there's times where he'll test us to see what our response will be. You want to know how uh, you get close to something that's a wound? I mean, you watch these, have you ever watched those movies before where they want to get some information out of a guy and they're wounded? So what do they do? They push down on the spot that hurts, right? And folks, God knows the things that become idols in our hearts, doesn't he? He knows how to put his finger on just the right spot where it hurts enough and you recognize that it's become an idol. Now notice what happens. Your response to the test is extremely important, folks. How you respond is a big deal. Now, what I love about Abraham is that when God begins to ask for Isaac, Abraham responds in the most incredible way. Let's follow along with what happens. We see the trust in God's provision. Now, notice the first thing. Faith obeys even without understanding. Look at verses 3 and 4. And Abraham, notice what he did. He rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he claved the wood for the burnt offering. And he rose up and he went unto the place which God did told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Now notice that, did he debate with God? No debate. Notice all the action words. I love this because if there was ever a morning that you were going to wake up late, it should have been what? That morning. If there was going to be a time where you were going to forget some provisions, I definitely would have forgot it that day. But what he did is he woke up early and notice that it says that he began to, he, he got his donkey prepared, he got his two servants, he got his son, he even cut wood so that it would be prepared for the sacrifice. He was preparing himself for obedience. The scripture, what blows my mind about this passage is this, folks. It never opens up about what Abraham's emotions were like. You want to know one of the reasons why I think that is? I think it's obvious. Imagine as Abraham and Isaac began to journey for these three days. Folks, it took three days for him to get to Mount Moriah. What do you think that walk would have looked like when he was walking with his son Isaac and his two servants? Folks, there's times when you read the scriptures, you need to use your imagination. Imagine a father and his son, they're walking down the road. And they come to the first place where they're going to camp out for the night. He knows what's in, in front of them. He's at a campfire. And do you think that he maybe looked at his son Isaac and just fixated his eyes on him? In three days, I could possibly lose him. You see things happen in the news where a child's in the hospital and it doesn't look. Can you imagine the eyes of the parent that locks in on their child? Do you think at night that maybe Abraham was praying and wrestling with God about why it would happen? And as the sun began to come up upon the horizon, maybe Abraham made this prayer, Lord, may your will be done. He had released his son. He had set his feet to obedience. It reminds me of the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when Jesus before his crucifixion, goes into the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally means oil press. It was in an olive garden, and it was in that place where they would crush the olives so that it would make the oil to light their lamps. Folks, listen. 
And as Jesus was kneeling in the garden, you remember the struggle with God's will? He prayed this prayer. He said, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. But you remember the last part? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Folks, that is the prayer of submission. That God is the provider. He's the one that puts the things into our life that we need. We don't understand it. Folks, faith is not understanding what God wants you to do. It's doing what he told you to do regardless of whether you understand it or not. It's putting your feet to action. Notice what else he does. Faith clings to the promises of God. Look at verses 5 and 6, and it says this. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went, both of them, together. One of my favorite portions of this passage, if you'll put the verse back up, Notice what he says. He says that when we go and worship, he said, I and the lad will do what? We will come back again unto you. It's a first person plural, meaning this, that both Isaac and his, uh, the father Abraham would go up the mountain together and they would worship God and both of them together would come back. You're like, Ryan, what in the world did, did he mean by that? God had told him to go on the mountain and do what? Sacrifice your son on the mountain that I tell you. Why in the world would Abraham mention the fact that both of them would come back? The only way you can uh, understand this is if you look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look at this passage with me. We'll put it up on the screen. Hebrews 11, 17 and 19 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered Isaac... And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That was Genesis 21. We read earlier. Now look at what he says. Verse, verse number 19. Accounting that God was what? Able to raise him up, even from the dead. Now folks, listen. You're like, Ryan, what's the big deal? He reckoned that God could resurrect his son from the, the, the dead. Here's the big deal, folks. Follow along with me. In Genesis chapter 22, there had been no record of any resurrection ever happening. And as Abraham was walking for the three days, now imagine with me, you have to use your imagination. Him and his son are walking. He's wrestling with God because all Abraham knows is that God had promised that in Isaac would be the blessing. In Isaac, uh, he, would, he would make his family uh, become a multitude, that he would bless his family through who? Isaac. That was the only promise that he had. So Abraham began to put together God's promise, and this is what he would cling to. God made a promise that Isaac, he would bless me, and, and we would become a, a, a big family. Now listen, so what was incredible was this. Abraham reckoned that if his promise was in Isaac, that God would have to resurrect him in order to keep the promise. That's the only way. And so Abraham, not knowing exactly what God was doing, he believed that God would even resurrect his son if it was necessary. Hey folks, God always keeps his word. God's will will never negate the promises that he makes in Scripture. 
Did you know that the Bible has 5,000 different promises in it? And folks, God will never, ever turn his back on his word. The scriptures actually teaches that God watches over his word to make sure that he performs every single promise. Folks, when times are difficult and you don't have anything else you can rest in, you can always cling to the promises of God. Always. Now notice what else happens. Faith also trusts in the character of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, so that they both of them went together. Now notice that just like children, you know, when you go on a trip, what's the first question they always ask? When are we going to get there? Kids ask all kinds of questions, but, you know, he's, a, he's older now. He's over 20 years old. The first thing that he asked, this shows that Isaac was familiar with sacrifices. He says, Father, I notice that we have the wood, we have the fire, but we're missing something. What was it? Where's the lamb? Can you imagine Abraham's face when he, his son asked him that? Evidently, along the trip, normally what would happen, the father would take an animal with him so that they would have a sacrifice when they got to the place. Isaac notices, Dad, we don't have a sacrifice. What are we going to do? Now, I love the response of Abraham because he had already thought through it, evidently. Notice the words of Abraham. Folks, you ought to take a pen and you ought to circle it in your Bible. This is a great word. This is what he says. Notice he said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. That word provide is a great word. It means to see. You're like, Ryan, why does that mean to, to see? Why is that a big deal? It's the idea that when God sees a need that his children have, he doesn't sit by idly and let them just go through it without a provision. Anytime God sees, he's also prone to do what? To act to move, to provide. That's the nature of God. God, when he sees you in your difficulties and in your trials, God's character is this. He wants to provide for his children. He doesn't sit back and doesn't just, you know, ignore what's going on in our lives, folks. He's active and he's moving. And folks, here's the thing. Faith isn't understanding. As a matter of fact, faith is when it looks like it doesn't even seem possible. You trust them to do it anyway. True faith is confidence in God that even when everything we see and hear seems like it isn't true, we believe him anyway. And folks, this is what it is. I, I've been really just struggling thinking through this passage this week. You know, we see the things that are happening with Brother Craig, and you see his health, and we don't understand why God does things like that. It's dark. We don't understand what the purpose is and the plan is for God behind all it. But folks, I'll tell you this. In the times where we don't understand what God's doing, we can always trust on this. God always keeps his promises and God's character, he's always good. Always good. The Bible says in Romans 8 that he can cause all things to work together for our good and for his glory. 
God can work those things out. He can bring things together. And folks, here's the thing. God will put us in points like this to test us and whether we'll trust him and believe that God can come through in those moments. And folks, here's the point. God had provided him with, Abra uh, with Isaac, and what God wanted to see is that would Abraham hold that provision that God gave him with open hands and trust God's character and trust God's promises? Let me give you an illustration of it. I, I read the story about, I don't know how many of you know Jeremy Levin. He was a CNN reporter that was taken captive by Hezbollah in Lebanon in March of 1984. At that point, he was... Uh, he's a Jewish man, but he was an atheist. And while he was in that prison, he came to faith in Christ. And somebody asked him, they said, what was the impact of the gospel on your life while you were in prison? And this is the response that he gave. He said, this meant that despite the chains of my ankles and a lock on the door and the guards with guns, I was free. I joked to myself that all... God and I had left to discuss was the exact date. You know what he was referencing, folks? Listen here. This is what I'm trying to bring around to you. God promises to give us hope. His promises are a hope that sets us free in the darkest times. When you get in a difficult moment, God's character and his promises, they're unchanging. They can literally take you out of the prison of dark circumstances and you can rest your hand, head on the fact of, of the fact that God provides you what you need. God is provident. God is always working and moving. And listen, in the darkest days, you can cling to promises and the character of God even when you don't understand. Amen. Folks, that is the greatest hope that we could have in any situation. God still sits on the throne God directs everything and he knows what we need. Now, let's go into this last thing. The very last thing is this. The timing of God's provision. First of all, God provides at the right place. Folks, God, had he abandoned Abraham? Folks, God never abandons his people. The very fact that God was using a test meant that God had something he wanted to do in the heart of Abraham. Now, follow along what happens here. And we'll be done. The very first thing is this. God provides at the right place. Verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Folks, Abraham had done many sacrifices before. But he had always had an, a, a lamb he had always had an animal that he'd sacrificed. He had never brought uh, his son to do something like this before. But notice that there was probably pain in his heart as he would take his son. And folks, typically when they were going to have a sacrifice, they would take the animal and they would uh, bind it. They would tie it up, put it on the altar, and they would normally slit the animal's throat. And they would set it on fire. Now imagine the heart of Abraham as he takes his son. By the way, he's not a small child because he was carrying the wood up the mountain. And Isaac had enough faith to trust his dad that he knew what he was doing. So he takes him and he binds him and he puts him on the altar. And can you imagine that maybe there was tears that was coming down the face of Abraham? Son, I don't know what God's doing. Maybe he kissed his son on the cheek 
and said, son, I don't know what he's going to do through this, but I'm going to trust him anyway. I'm putting you on the altar. Can you imagine that maybe there were angels that were looking down saying, man, this is a man that truly loves the Lord. He's willing to put his son on the altar. And in that place, folks, in the place of obedience is where God provides. Notice it specifically says they came to the place that God told him. Folks, we cannot expect God's provision when we're living in disobedience. God's provision always comes in the point where we're obeying what God has told us to do. Notice the second thing. God provides at the right time. Folks, God is never too late. He's never too early. God is always on time and on point when he provides. Look at what he says here in this passage, verses 10 through 12. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord, you might write Jesus in your Bible. That is a pre-incarnate Christ coming. And notice what happens. And called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Verse 12, and he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Picture them up on the mountain in front of the altar. Abraham takes the knife into his hands. And he's about to plunge it into his son out of obedience. Now, folks, listen, at that exact moment, not a moment earlier, not a moment moment later, God stops his hand from performing the sacrifice on his son. And God stops his hand and tells him what? Now I know that you have not withheld your son from me. Folks, that means test passed. He passed the test of God. Now, this is where I really want you to focus in on what I'm going to tell you. What was it that God was seeking from Abraham? Pay careful attention to this. At this moment, we recognize that what God wanted from Abraham wasn't the life of his son Isaac. What God wanted from Abraham was the heart of Abraham. He didn't want any competing loves any competing loyalties. He didn't want the life of Isaac. He wanted the heart of Abraham. And folks, you know when God gives us the provisions and all the good things into our life, what is it that he wants out of you most? It's not your stuff that he wants. He wants your heart. He wants you. And folks, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that without the test, we wouldn't know where our affections truly lie. You know, in the moments when they're the, t- the toughest and the hardest and you don't know what God's doing, folks, if you still remain faithful to the Lord through testing and trials, you can look back on it and you can say truly, my heart and my affections are set on Jesus Christ. Amen. I've been through some things and I still trust him. I still love him. And I tr- still believe that God is giving me exactly what it is that I need to make it through it. You're like, Ryan, but this place of surrender, God brings him to the point where he surrenders his child. Now, folks, listen. You're like, well, Ryan, what do you mean by all this? This is what I want us to understand. God wants us to take the provisions that he gives us, the gifts, the possessions, the the positions, 
the people of our life and he wants us to hold them with open hands and say, God, they don't belong to me. You can take and use it however you see fit. Now, this is why. Why should I hold the things that God gives me with open hands? The reason why is that God gives you provisions with open hands. Look at the very next passage, folks. You really need to see this part. Look at what he says in verse 13. God's provision is in a person. Folks, when God gives you what he needs, it comes to you through a person. I want you to notice who it is. Look at verse 13. And at that moment, this is right before he's about to plunge the knife into his son. Look at verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering. And you circle this, in the stead of his son. When God put Abraham to the test, and Abraham began to walk up Mount Moriah on one side, Abraham didn't know it, but coming up the other side of the mountain was a ram. And at just the right moment, before Abraham was going to plunge the knife into his son, God stops his hand, and at just the right time, he looks up and he sees a ram whose head is covered in thorns. It's a picture of the fact that there was a provision that God sent at just the right time, at just the right place. He had a provision for him through the ram whose head was covered in thorns. Folks, that is a picture of none other than Jesus Christ himself. And that, put, that verse where it says, in the place of his son, that is the very first time we see the, the idea of substitutionary atonement in the Bible. You're like, Ryan, what, is, what do we mean by that? We mean someone dying in the place of someone else. Folks, that person, that ram was meant to be a picture of him, the Jesus that would die in our place. When Isaac was walking up the mountain, he said to his father, he said, Father, where's the lamb? That question ran all the way throughout the entire Old Testament until there was a man named John the Baptist who was performing baptisms, and when he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold what? The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. At just the right time, God's provision came through. Now, folks, this is what I want you to get from it. Why is it that we should hold the things that God gives us with open hands? Because, folks, when it came to his son, God freely offered him with what? Open hands. He gave up his son to die in our place. That's an incredible thought. Now, look at what he says in verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. When he called that place Jehovah-Jireh, listen folks, it means the Lord will provide. That statement became a saying, a proverb among Jewish people. I love this part. The saying, notice what it is. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. You know what that literally means? We don't understand what that's saying. It means at the last possible moment, when things are dark 
and it doesn't look like God's going to come through, when you don't understand what God's doing, if you'll keep going to the mount, at that moment, God will come through. Folks, I don't know how many of you have been in some tough situations where God's come through at the last possible moment. That's exactly what he's talking about. I love this word in Thai. You guys are like, well, what do you mean? Like, if the way that they translated this passage is literally this. On the mountain, God arranged it. Folks, that is a perfect picture of what this passage is saying. Folks, God's provision comes at the last possible moment when it seems like you won't be delivered, when it seems like he won't come through. God comes through. Because why? He's the great provider. He's not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. You know, this picture when God tells him to go to Mount Moriah is a beautiful picture. All of it is a picture of what Jesus Christ did. Mount Moriah is an old term that's used for that location. It was a mountain where later on they built a city named Jerusalem on top of that mountain. Now, it's said by biblical scholars that that exact place, they believe, is the exact place where they built the temple. It's a possibility. The place where Isaac was offered up. Some people think that it even went to the ridge of a hill that got a new name, a place that later on was called Golgotha, the place of the skull. At the very location on the mount the Lord provides. Folks, on the mount the Lord provided us Jesus Christ himself. Folks, everything that we need in the Christian life is found in a person. It's found in Jesus Christ. Folks, the reason why God gives us all of these great things and he puts them into your hands, listen, he's the provider of those things, so we hold them with open hands. And we hold them with open hands because the God that requests those things from us, he also gave us freely all things with an open hand. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It says this, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Folks, if God wouldn't withhold his son from you, what makes you think he's going to withhold the provisions that you need to make it in the darkest times? There's nothing that he'll withhold from you if he won't withhold from you his own son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Folks, it's all meant to be a beautiful picture of what God does for us in Jesus. You know the wood that Isaac would carry up the hill would be the cross of, that Jesus Christ would carry to Calvary. When Abraham carried the, the knife in one hand, that was a picture of the nails that would pierce Jesus' hands and feet. When he had the fire in the other hand, that was a picture of the wrath of God that would come down on Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. When Isaac submitted himself to his father's will, that was Jesus Christ submitting himself to the father's will. Amen. Folks, God always has great plans for us. It's for our good and for his glory. Do we always understand what he's doing? No. But the things that he gives us, he wants us to hold it with open hands instead of clenched fists. You know, I heard the story that I want to close with. It's a story about a pastor named A.M. Overton. That name probably doesn't ring a bell for most people here. 
He was a pastor in a city in Mississippi back in 1932. He had three children. His wife was pregnant with their fourth one. And in the delivery room when she was having a birth, both his wife and his newborn baby died in the room. He was devastated by what had happened. So bad that he said he couldn't perform the funeral for his own wife's uh, and daughter's funeral. He couldn't do it. So he asked a friend to come and to perform the funeral for him. That pastor, as he was standing up and he was uh, going through the funeral service, he noticed that that man was on the very front row and that he was writing something on a piece of paper. After the funeral, that pastor went and asked his friend that had lost his wife and daughter. He said, do you mind if I ask you what it was that you were writing on your piece of paper? He said, I don't mind at all. He gave the paper over to him. And these are the words that he read. Listen to him carefully. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he maketh no mistake. Folks, God's providence is the softest pillow that we can rest our head on. Amen. We rest in the fact that God is moving and directing all things, and he knows exactly what we need. And folks, he's always on time to give us what we need. And his provision is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ himself. Folks, whatever it is that you're facing today, I promise you that he has a provision for you in the person of Jesus if you'll seek him out. Folks, at night, when you put your head on the pillow, rest in the fact that God gives you and he directs and he provides everything that you need every moment of the day. Rest in him. Amen. I want to ask that you, everybody would bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you say, Ryan, I don't have that hope that you talked about. Folks, the provision for your salvation, for you to go to heaven, is in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith in him, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. You can choose to put your faith in him today. How many of you would just say like, that, Ryan, you know, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior but I know I need to be saved. Listen, 